the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're ready and we're rolling. It is a Tuesday, the 17th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Big show coming up at 935. Inside our state, we are uh, forced to choose, coming up this November, between death by fire or death by ice. I don't know which is worse. Nan Whaley, the Democratic nominee for governor. Mike DeWine, the incumbent Republican nominee for another term. Either one of them, disasters. Complete and utter disasters. Democrat trash, no matter which letter they wear after their name on their name tags. I don't like either one of them. I don't want either one of them near the leadership of my state. The odds are very strong, however, one of them is going to be. Question is, which one and what can you tolerate? Well, maybe there's another alternative. Third-party candidates typically are uh, they're protest votes that don't have any real impact uh, or at least have any real chance of winning elections. They're protest votes that can screw things up for maybe the incumbent. Anybody remember Ross Perot? That might be the case in this situation as well. But I think there are a lot of people who want to listen to what conservative, independent Neil Peterson has to say. 
He will say it on these airwaves coming up in about a half an hour. At 9.35, we'll talk to Neil Peterson, independent candidate, conservative independent candidate for governor. I'll ask him what he thinks of Mike DeWine. I'll ask him what he thinks of Nan Whaley. I'll ask him what he thinks about the issues that face this state. And you can tell me whether or not this is somebody that you want to uh, learn a little bit more about between now and November, somebody that you might want to rally for a little bit, somebody that you might want to actually be more than a spoiler, to be more than just a protest vote. Maybe somebody who in a three-way race could take a very small uh, uh, plurality. Well, it wouldn't be a plurality, but if all you have to do is have more than the other two. You don't need 50% or more. You don't need 50% or more in a three, three-way race. You basically need about 35%, uh, as long as the other ones stay under 30, uh, or under 35, rather. So Neil Peterson will join me at 935. Peter Kersenow, of course, at 1010, as it is a Tuesday. That makes it a Kersenow day. I know you are always uh, looking forward to that. Pete and I are going to talk about a whole host of items, including what's going on, <clears throat> excuse me, including what's going on uh, in uh, Buffalo uh, today as Joe Biden goes to Buffalo for a photo op and to con- continue to try to politicize. And there is nothing more and nothing less than politics at play here. Understand that. This is about politicizing the deaths of all of those people in Buffalo at the grocery store. This is a race crime. This is, I promise you, he goes to Buffalo and uses the phrase ultra MAGA. They're going to call this a Republican, conservative, far right, white supremacist, white nationalist, domestic terrorist. That's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to call the shooter there, and that he was influenced by Ultra MAGA, which is his new talking point. It's kind of like the new deplorables. And I'm going to ask Peter Kirsten now how he will respond to that, because that is exactly what is coming. And then uh, coming up at 1035 today, we're going to talk to Sam Shepard. And Sam is going to talk to us about, well, the progressive corporation, both literally the progressive corporation, CEO Tricia Griffith, Defended the company's new DEI, or to be more accurate, DIE, Diversion, Inclusion, and Equity. I always reverse those last two letters. DEI spells nothing. DIE spells die, which is exactly what their goal is for corporate America and for this country, quite frankly. But they've got new policies at Progressive that says customers will be, um, their opinions, rather, uh, their, their new policy uh, is arguing that the opinions of individual customers can be assumed and predicated by selecting someone who looks like them to represent them. In other words, content of character, merit or meritocracy, not even close to being important here. Customers can only be served by people who look just like them. It's simply remarkable. In order for the company to fully understand its customers, said the CEO, it needed to hire employees proportional to the race and sex demographic of its consumer base. So it's not just the, the how they look, but also who do they like to sleep with, and how do I how do they identify themselves? We need to give those represent give them representatives rather that are just like them. It's it's remarkable. So we are going to be talking with uh, Scott Shepard. Scott Shepard will be joining us to talk about, uh, I may have said Sam Shepard, by the way. He, he's, he's the guy who fought the one-armed man, uh, <laughs> the doctor. No, uh, Scott Shepard, a big part. But Scott will be joining us to talk about exactly how dangerous uh, this is. And quite frankly, how illegal. Dare I say illegal? Unconstitutional? This race-based uh, hiring? That is exactly what the uh, Civil Rights Amendment was supposed to stop. Uh, hiring people based on their race. 
And this is exactly what they are trying to do. So we're going to talk to him at 1035. So we've got a lot to get into today. Before we get into the news of the day, I don't want to be too late with our pledge. Yesterday we got to it a little bit late. So patriots, please stand. Face your flag if you have one nearby. If you do not, that's okay. Close your eyes and imagine old glory flowing in the wind. If you are a leftist, if you are a Brandon supporter, and if you believe that racist hate crimes can only go one direction, well, then you have no earthly idea what liberty is anyway. You have no idea what that flag represents. You are exempted. You don't have to stand if you choose not to. You may go take a knee on the sideline next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For those of us who believe in this country, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. So here's where I want to start. You know, yesterday I gave very, very little attention uh, to the issue in Buffalo because I knew what was going on. Nothing had been investigated yet. And yet the American left was automatically trying to put blood on the hands of Tucker Carlson, of Fox News, of conservatives all over America who are concerned about a number of things in this country that have become 100% race-based, as opposed to being about issues, as opposed to being about people, as opposed to being about content. It's all about race in so many different areas. We knew exactly what this was going to be. We know exactly how wrong it is. But now I wanted to spend some time on it today because of what Joe Brandon is planning to do. Joe Brandon is going to go visit Buffalo today, and he's going to further politicize this this tragedy, this atrocity, this horrible situation in which a racist nut, and I want to be very, very clear about that. This is not about ideology with this clown. This is about a guy who is mentally ill and who's full of hate and rage, he's a racist. There's no question about that. He is not inspired by any ideology, by his own 181-page, I don't want to call it a manifesto. A lot of people want to call it a manifesto. It's very, very different than the manifesto left behind explaining all of his actions and so forth, like by the Unabomber and people like that. This is just kind of a nut, a nut's ramblings. Right, Very dense, 181 pages of rambling. But throughout his rambling, he identifies himself, and he cannot stand Fox News. He's not inspired by Fox News. He doesn't like Fox News. He is not inspired by conservatives online either. He doesn't like them. He said if he had to describe himself, he would call himself a left, an authoritarian leftist, although he does not necessarily support the Democrat Party either. The guy's just flat out a nut. He's filled with hate. He's filled with rage. And the sad truth of the matter is he should have been killed on the spot. I'm not not suggesting police officers, once he surrenders himself, puts his gun down, that they should have shot him in the head anyway, uh, because you're not allowed to do that. That's just how the law works. But he threatened to kill himself at the time he should have. I wish he had. But he didn't, and so here we sit. So now we get into the politics of it all. Biden is going to go there and politicize this even more so. Which begs the question, why does Biden pick and choose the race-based attack tragedies that he visits in person and calls public attention to? Rather than why does he, how does he choose which ones he's going to attend? 
Well, yesterday, Peter Ducey from Fox asked the new press secretary, did you know that she's gay? She likes to sleep with women? Did you know that she's black? I don't care about that, but the White House thought enough of that to make sure that they introduced her as an historic pick, the first openly gay and black woman to, to hold the position of press secretary. Isn't that super? They wanted you to know that right off the jump. Right out of the beginning. She's gay, everybody, and she's black. Aren't we dynamic? Aren't we diverse? At any rate, her homosexuality and her race notwithstanding, her ability to handle questions is clearly already um, in question. How do I know? What do I mean? Well, actually, before I give you what she said about this decision by Biden to go to Buffalo, Let's let's just give you an example of the qualifications of the merits of this first openly gay and black uh, press secretary. Listen to how her her mind works as she answers a tough question. Well, but how does raising taxes on corporations lower the cost of gas, the cost of a used car, the cost of food for everyday Americans? So look, I think we encourage those who have done very well. Right, especially those who care about climate change, uh, to support a fair ta- tax code that doesn't change, that doesn't charge manufacturers, workers, cops, builders a higher percentage of their earnings. That the most fortunate people in our nation, and not let this, this that stand in the way of reducing energy costs and fighting this ex- existential problem. If you think about that as an example. What? Wait, 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 what? Biden made an announcement that his plan to combat inflation, the inflation that is crippling family budgets all over this country, is to raise corporate taxes. Asked how raising corporate taxes lowers the cost of goods and services for the American people, she said, climate change. Then read directly, she never took her eyes off of the podium, read a prepared response to what was an anticipated question. And it was, people should pay more. People who have done well, people who are people of means, should pay more. But, but, Corrine, how does that help fight inflation? Next! That just gives you an idea of the qualifications of the first openly gay. Did we tell you that she's gay? Apparently that matters. She likes to sleep with women. Does that increase the quality of her answers? No? Oh, okay. Well, the White House wants you to know, though, that she's gay, openly, and black. Okay, super. Now let's get to the matter at hand. Question two for Corrine Jean-Pierre, press secretary, mouthpiece now for Joe Brandon. This question is about the choices that Brandon makes, about which tragic uh, attacks, particularly those with a racial component, which ones he chooses to attend and politicize, and which ones he does not. Listen. Buffalo after a senseless tragedy there, but he couldn't visit. Let's start that over again here. How come the president is visiting Buffalo after a senseless tragedy there, but he couldn't visit Waukesha after six were killed and 61 injured in an attack on a Christmas parade there? I mean, he's visited many communities. Buffalo, he was, we, you know, he was, he's able to go tomorrow to Buffalo uh, uh, before the trip. That is something that was important for him to do. But he has visited many, uh, many other communities. This is not, Buffalo is not the first community, sadly, that he has to go up to uh, because of a violent attack so you know that's not that's not the first one so he's been 
Nobody asked you, you rambling buffoon, whether or not it was the first one. Nobody asked you if he has visited other communities. He asked you very specifically, why did he not visit Waukesha, Wisconsin, when a violent, violent attack took place, when a black man drove a vehicle through a crowd of white people at a Christmas parade? Why a black man drove and, according to the eyewitnesses and to the Milwaukee DA, that uh, zigzagged, drove his truck in a zigzag fashion into that crowd so that he could maximize the number of people that he hit, so that he, so he could literally injure or kill as many people as possible. Why did he not go there? Six people were killed. 61 people seriously injured. Many of them, many of them um, are going to have to learn how to walk again. This is just from this past Christmas. A black man named Daryl Brooks drove that truck into that crowd, hitting as many people as possible. He was black. The, the crowd was not just majority, I think, but all white. This was very, very much a, a, a similar racist attack, a hate crime, if you will. Joe Biden didn't do a thing. Joe Biden didn't go to Waukesha, Wisconsin. I think he may have sent Jill Biden, but Buffalo, he's going to Buffalo because there are points to score here. The midterms are coming up, you know. Democrats are in trouble. So he gets to go to Buffalo now and declare the white shooter of all of those people, mostly black but not all, in that that store, in that grocery store, he gets to declare this white shooter as being ultra-maga, influenced by... Donald Trump, influenced by the conservative Republican movement, influenced by conservative television like Tucker Carlson, influenced by conservative Internet. He's going to go there and try to score political points for his party ahead of the midterm, even though he completely ignored a massive racist attack. Uh, and, And not only he, by the way, do you remember what CNN and MSNBC said after that attack in Waukesha? Do you remember what the actual headline said? The headlines said car drives into parade and and kills and injures people remember that they referenced a car the original headline and story that they said was these people were killed in a car attack nothing about the driver it was a car it must have been an uh you know a self-driving car one of those one of those musk teslas or something it was remarkable that they were willing to do something so egregiously uh unprofessional but that's what they said. That's what they said. It was a car. They didn't want to highlight the, re- the reality of the situation because this doesn't fit the narrative. The narrative doesn't work when it's an African-American attacking a, a parade full of white people. I want to hear from you about this. 216 Don't forget, we're also going to talk to Neil Peterson, candidate for governor, conservative candidate for governor, uh, independent. He's going to be joining us at 935 this morning. And, hey, I also want to talk to you. If you're serious about investing and protecting your retirement funds, all right, we are all well aware that we are faced with raging inflation, the hyper-volatile stock market is a problem, major geopolitical turmoil, but you no longer have to sit hopelessly and watch it all unfold, wondering how it's going to impact your retirement fund. Thousands of retirees are safeguarding their retirements with physical precious metals. 
like gold and silver inside your IRA or your 401k to help protect your retirement account. There's only one company that I trust to buy your precious metals from, and that's Advantage Gold. They are TrustLink's number one highest gold-rated company, seven years in a row. How about that? Uh, Advantage Gold has the best prices, the best staff, the best IRA department in the country, and they're ready to help protect your retirement account today. They want to give you a free gold IRA investment kit that will tell you everything you need to know. Here's how you get it. Call 800-741-4653. These people are amazing. They'll be able to answer any question you can come up with, uh, including if your current retirement account qualifies. That number, again, is 800-741-4653. 800-741-4653. Do not sit idly by while the stock market and inflation destroy your retirement savings. Don't wait until it's too late to call. Call now. 800-741-4653. All right, 929, short segment here before the bottom of the hour news, and that's okay because we want to make sure we clear the decks. Uh, for our coming guest, Neil Peterson, wants to be the next governor of Ohio. You're probably saying, well, then why wasn't he in the primary? Well, that's because he's not a Republican. He couldn't have been in the primary. Why wasn't he in the Democrat primary? He's not a Democrat either. He's a conservative independent, and he says that he's got the answers for what uh, ails the state, and this state is in a very, very bad state right now. I think we all know uh, Mike DeWine governed like a Democrat, and Ann Whaley is a Democrat. We don't have too many choices there now, do we? Well, Neil Peterson might be that choice. Is he just a protest vote, though? Is he going to be the Ross Perot that ruins it for somebody but doesn't have a chance to get this uh, vote himself? Will he even make it onto the ballot, or will he have to be written in? We're going to talk about all of those things with Neil Peterson, independent conservative candidate for governor. He's next right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 9.37 now. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday morning, AM 1420. The Answer, Always Right Radio is online at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Check out the lead stories of the day there. It is your uh, best source for conservative news and views, collected and organized for your easy consumption, alwaysright.us. So... You know the fight that I fought over the course of the last several months prior to the May 3rd primary to try to get Mike DeWine out of Columbus, Ohio, because of what he has done to this great state. You know that I supported Jim Renacci. He did so very vocally and very, very passionately. Uh, Things did not work out. A very, very poor turnout, I don't think, helped. Neither did the appearance of a charlatan uh, in a big hat and a long beard uh, pretending to potentially be a governor. Uh, All of those things led to Mike DeWine. So now we're left. With Democrat Mike DeWine, who wears an R after his name, against Democrat Nan Whaley, who wears a D after her name. Not much difference. Is there an alternative? There might be. Or it might just be a wasted protest vote. This is what third-party candidates or independent candidates have always faced, those questions. Joining us now is possibly the answer, or maybe just the protest vote. But Neil um, Peterson is an independent conservative, former, former Republican, who is now challenging the two-party system, if you will, to try to take uh, the governor's office away from both of them. Neil Peterson joins us now on AM 1420. The Answer. Good morning, Neil. How are you, sir? 
Good morning, Bob. It's great to be on the air with you this morning. It's good to have you. We need to get to know you. For those who don't know anything about you, and I'm one of them, I mean, I've read a little bit. I read a great interview that uh, you conducted with a reporter from the Ohio Press Network. So, uh, And I've seen your website. I've seen some of your positions and policy standpoints. But uh, tell the people who don't know anything about you, who is Neil Peterson? Yeah, well, thanks, Bob, for the opportunity. Well, first, I want everybody to know that there is hope. There has been such a battle between the two-party system, but reality is that typically when someone runs as an independent, I hate to say it, people think of a fringe candidate, as you said, that is simply going to be a protest vote. Well, we are not a protest vote. We are, as John Morrow with Committee for Better Ohio says, we are an independent Republican. Because the reality is is the party has been fractured into many different sects. And so I'm, I'm a American who first and foremost is one who loves God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength as a pastor. And that is, is the view that I have in this world is from a biblical worldview. Second, I'm a family man. I've been married for 20 years. I got married on Groundhog Day 2202. Just celebrated 20 years, three daughters, a 19, 12, and 10. I've got skin in this game. And I am a pastor, but I am an American who loves this country. And the Word of God said that there's no greater love than one who lays down his life for his friends. And I want to tell all your listeners, we are in that battle where we need those, and there are those freedom-fighting patriots who are willing to lay down their life to preserve freedom, liberty, truth, to preserve the things that our ancestors and those who have died before us have fought so hard. And we're not going to give up. We're going to keep fighting the good fight. Uh, That's a great introduction. Um, So when you call yourself an independent Republican, uh, but you chose to leave the Republican Party, why? I don't know if I chose to leave the Republican Party if the Republican Party left me. And there's probably, at least in the last primary, there's about a half million voters who feel that the party left them. If if that was not the case, we wouldn't see that DeWine only was able to get 48% of the vote. And so there is a, a true, I believe, a, a hemorrhaging right now of the Republican Party, where we have someone in the highest seat in the governor's office that says he's a Republican, but everybody knows that he's a Republican in name only. And so we're left in a quandary. Do we simply, as you've heard the proverbial, hold your nose and vote for the lesser of two evils, vote for Mike DeWine, or is there another option? And so independents have never been viable. But I'm telling you, Bob, I've been all over the state. A lot of people said, where has he been? I've been I've been out there campaigning with all the other guys for the last almost year Um, as an independent. Of course, many people don't know about us, but we've been on the road uh, continually and and vigorously. But the reality is, is there are people that don't care if R is in front of the name. They want to vote based on the values of their heart. And I believe that's where there's something to get excited about, Bob, is people are saying, you know what? 
for the first time, I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils. I'm going to vote for what is right. And I believe when people finally have the fortitude and the faith to actually vote their character and vote what they believe, I believe we can finally turn the Republican Party around. We are talking with independent candidate for Governor Neil Peterson. He is uh, trying to... uh unseat Mike DeWine and stop Nan Whaley from ascending to the uh, governor's office. The real question here, and I've seen and heard different things about this, uh, Neil, is will they have a chance to vote for you at all? Will you be on the ballot? Can you clarify that? Yeah, yes. So let me explain very briefly, because until I got into this, Bob, I was a little ignorant as it relates to what made a independent candidate viable to even be electable, to be on the ballot. So an independent candidate, a statewide candidate, needs five times the number of signatures to get on the ballot, and that number is 5,000. Those are 5,000 valid signatures that are uh, not only submitted to the Secretary of State, but then those signatures are then distributed back to their respective counties to actually be audited and confirmed. Now, the Republican or the major parties, so the Republican and the Democrats, they only need a thousand. So as an independent, this is the reason you do not see actual independence on the ballot. You'll see write-ins because you still have to register to be a write-in. But they make it very difficult for independents to get on the ballot. Now, they, they do that for some good reasons, I believe for some nefarious reasons. But the reality is, is we got our five, but we did not get the overage we would have liked to have gotten. So we submitted just under 6,000 signatures. Now, our, our goal was to submit around 7,500. But I can tell you, anybody who's listening, who's ever been part of, of getting signatures for a candidate, it's not easy. We worked our tails off. Our team really worked hard. And I'll tell you this, we collected more signatures than anybody else in the state. Uh, now, we're not just proud of that, but now comes the waiting game. The Secretary of State has up to July 15th to validate those signatures. And you can say what you want about their time. I have my thoughts, but I feel that that time is way too long for the Secretary of State to validate. Completely agree with that. I think that's ridiculous. It's getting way too close to the general election. People need to know, and you need to be able to campaign as if you're going to be on the ballot or not. Um, so if... If it, you know, if they don't verify at least five thousand of those signatures, you said you were at about seventy five hundred, right? So you're twenty five hundred over. No, no, no. That that was the crux, Bob. We wanted seventy five hundred. We oh, only you got submitted. Six. Yeah, we only submitted right around six. So got it. So it it is what it is, and I want to say this: two, one or two things are going to happen, and I think both are good. <laughs> Number one, if we get on the ballot. The anti-DeWine voters, they're going to freak out. They're going to be excited, and it's a happy freak out. The, those, if we don't get on the ballot, people are going to freak out. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, so so we, we, could, we could use a freak out, and I hope, I hope uh, your audience is understanding my freak out. They're either going to be excited that they could actually vote for somebody else other than dictator DeWine, or they're going to understand that the Republican Party is going to have a real uh, mess on their hands because you're going to have 
hundreds, and I'm not saying hundreds of thousands. Bob, I'm telling you, there's millions of them right now. We can't find DeWine supporters. I don't know where they're at. We have been campaigning for a year. They're in the shadows. They're in the ditches. I don't know. We were at a ball game collecting signatures, Ohio State spring game. Remember that. And we were collecting signatures, and after probably four or five hours collecting signatures, we come up to a lady, and she said, I'm sorry, I'm, a, I'm, I'm voting for Mike DeWine. We almost fell over. We spent four or five hours not heard one person. Not, I, we forgot DeWine was the governor for a minute. So I don't know where these voters are, but the reality is, is people just need hope that there is another alternative. And I'm telling you, for one time in history, one time in history, this window, an independent can be very viable. Yeah, we're talking to Neil Peterson. He is a Dayton area pastor and an independent Republican, as he calls himself, or independent candidate for governor. Um, I mean, I'm just having a tough time. First of all, I agree with you. Uh, in the entirety of the run-up to the primary, I couldn't find. I mean, Mike DeWine couldn't even show up at his own state central committee meeting and vote for an endorsement because he knew he would be booed uh, by the crowd. He didn't show. Mm-hmm. He was booed by the crowd in the second largest county uh, uh, a GOP organization in the state in Cuyahoga County. He was booed when he went there to try to you know get his coronation, and then uh, he lost that to Jim Renacci. So I don't know where the support for Mike DeWine is coming from either, but yet here he sits um, in a situation where he got 48% of the vote. Renacy and Blystone even combined would have barely beaten him at 49%, so yet there he is. Now, Neil, here's a real tough question for you. Um, Can you live with Nan Whaley as the governor? Because some people whose political instincts I trust have said, if Neil Peterson gets on this ballot... If you get those 5,000 confirmed signatures and you are there, Mike DeWine will lose. People will vote for you who would have voted for him and that Nan Whaley is going to watch that split vote and smile on her way to the governor's office. Can you live with well, that, and do you agree with that? Well, I, I not only do I um, – it's not necessarily whether I believe it, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on this, because it's something, Bob, from the very beginning I had to grapple with. I went into this knowing that when we went independent, we filed we filed originally as a Republican. And as with the citizens candidate, no name recognition, no money, we knew that we were going to continue to split the vote. This isn't about me, but I want to share the nuances that make this unique, okay? Mike DeWine is one of the least liked governors in the country. You know that. You talk about it. Absolutely. That. But the reality well is... Well-earned, by the way. Well-earned. <laughs> yeah, he, he won that badge of honor well. Yeah. So he's with his unlikability, right? There's nothing to get excited about other than his lockdowns and, you know, his... Um, 4,000 yeah, you know, 4, restaurants and, and, uh, and, and, and bars and gyms out of business permanently because of his decisions. Over 4,000 and thousands more hemorrhaging right now and clinging by the skin of their teeth to their businesses staying open. All done by Mike DeWine. It's one of the reasons, Neil, I'm looking at you. And it's one of the reasons I was <laughs> behind Jim Renacci in the primary for the governor in the, in the GOP side because, uh, because of everything that Mike DeWine did. I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. Oh no, no! Don't 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 forget though. The abortion clinics were wide open that entire time. They were, and so so the crux here is this, Bob. 
me aside, right, and I'll get into a little backfill on this, but me aside, can Mike DeWine win? So do you know how many voters? Well, we know that there's roughly a half million of them that said they already weren't going to vote for DeWine. So here's the problem. Will those voters hold their nose and vote for him if there is no independent on the ballot? Now, you could split this anyway till Sunday and try to figure out what the numbers will be, but I think those numbers are exponential when you go to the general. There's going to even be more Ohio citizens, the everyday people that may not vote in the primary, that say, are you kidding me? I don't know if I'm going to vote for Mike DeWine, and there's two schools of thought. Number one, I'm not going to vote. You've heard that. I'm not going to vote. Number two, and this is bizarre to me, but it's the reality of rebellion. When someone is so disgruntled with with the candidate that's on the ballot, because some people don't really understand the the gravity of voting incorrectly, you're going to have scores of people that may even vote D. I've read it all over the line. You've heard it. I've talked to people. There is a an adamant group of Ohio citizens that said, no way will I vote for DeWine. It will be blank. I'll vote for Nan, or I'm not going to the polls. Have you heard any of that, Bob? Oh, I have. I have. And, in fact, I've actually stated some of that, not the Nan part. I said never, but I also pledged to never vote for Mike DeWine. It's the the vote I made for him uh, four years ago was, was the worst vote, uh, or the vote, rather, with which I have the most regret, or for which I have the most regret in my entire voting life. But what I would do is go up there and write in a name that I trusted. I will not not vote. But I will, even if it's just a protest vote, vote for an independent or write in a candidate if you're not on the ballot. Well, well, let me hit let me hit on that write in real quickly because there's a lot of misinformation. Once a candidate has declared their candidacy with the Secretary of State, they can no longer be a write in candidate. Now, some people know that. So, Jim Renacci, Joe Blystone, they're ineligible to be write in. Once our signatures are validated or invalidated. We cannot be righted. Now, I've had a lot of people ask me, including last night. We were up in Cleveland last night, and they said, hey, uh, can I vote for you if they don't get validated? The answer is no. And then they said, well, what about you withdraw your petition to be a writing candidate? The answer is no. Our team worked vigorously. We are on the battlefields, and if we don't get on the ballot, then we have a purpose in all of this. If we get on the ballot, we have a purpose with all this. But I want to I want to go back to your question because it's very important. I'm in the Dayton area. I've seen firsthand what how Nan has run this city. She is a progressive, wild maniac for the devil, and I mean that. She loves killing babies. She loves standing up for things that I do not hold from a moral standpoint. She believes in I I believe that she believes in destroying the family. She wouldn't say that, but when you support things that are contrary to the Christian worldview as it pertains to the family, that a school should be the governing uh, parents of your children, and all of this other wicked ideology, we truly are dealing with a devil. And I hate to say that, but you know what, Bob? Jesus told the Pharisees that they were sons of the devil. They didn't like that, but the reality is, is this is a wicked generation when people don't stand up to this. So I want to answer your question very succinctly. 
I have to truly go to bed multiple nights praying and say, and I said this analogy, I don't know if I want to be on Wikipedia. <laughs> My claim to fame on Wikipedia is that I got Nan Whaley in office. But as I begin to consult and as I been, begin to reflect and pray, there is such a job in this hour, and we may be at the tip of the spear, to understand that Mike DeWine, I truly believe at this point that the vote is already split. So what is a man to do? Well, we are to stay the course and understand that we're running, not as a protest vote, we're running to win. Now, is it going to take a miracle? Well, the Ohio motto is, with God, all things are possible. So we're, <laughs> we know what we're up against. But I'm a David, I'm standing in front of Goliath, but I believe that with faith, it is, it's impossible without faith to please God. So we have a job to do, and we're going to make history one way or another. Well, Neil, I'll tell you what, uh, a lot of people are going to really balk at your she-is-a-tool-of-the-devil narrative, but I will say this. You are a pastor. I believe you are guided by the loving Lord Jesus Christ, and if someone can be guided and inspired by Jesus Christ, someone else can be inspired by the other side, and that would be uh, would be you know a satanic force, and I believe that is the case if you believe in killing babies before they have a chance to pass through a birth canal, uh, saying that's the biggest, that's the only difference between life and a, uh, uh, you know, and a health care procedure, I think that is indeed evil. I think it is indeed guided and inspired by Satan. So I won't, uh, I won't, uh, I won't join the chorus of critics, critics who might not like the way you phrase that. Neil, well, well, Bob, next time me, we talk, bring... I'm out of time here, unfortunately. Okay, you got I want to talk to you again, and we'll get into the positions. I'm looking at your website, and I want, as we close, to tell people to visit your website, Neil Peterson. i got to spell it, because people won't get it. Uh, it's Neil, <laughs> N-I-E-L. N I almost like Nile N I E L Peterson with an E, not an O at the end. I just want everybody to know N I E L Peterson S E N, not S O N. NeilPeterson.com. I'm looking at your positions a page on uh, the Second Amendment, pro life, vaccines, faith, jobs and employment, education reform. Next time we'll talk about more of those platforms. I just wanted this to be an initial introduction for those who don't know you and what's going on here as an alternative to Nan Whaley or, or Mike DeWine. So I appreciate you coming on, but stay by your phone. We'll be uh, we'll be coming for you again so that we can share uh, all of the information that you have with Ohio voters. Okay. Bob, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. That's Neil Peterson. Is he the answer? I would like to think so. Uh, but as he said, it, it might take a miracle. <laughs> but in the state of Ohio, all with, with God, all things are possible. So we'll see where that goes. We'll take a time out here. We'll get to our news break. And on the other side of the news, Peter Kersenow on AM1420, The Answer, and Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Our number two underway. Always Right Radio is online at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Make sure you check it out for the lead stories of the day. You know, one of the lead stories yesterday we did not get into was uh, 
Uh, a phenomenal new uh, uh, presentation uh, made by uh, Senator Ted Cruz describing uh, the left-wing media. Uh, it, it went something like this. You bigoted, moronic, Manhattan leftist elite lying sacks of crap. <laughs> that was the one. <laughs> Ted Cruz on the podcast with Michael Knowles just laid it out. It's my favorite clip since. Ain't but two genders. <laughs> two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. You bigoted, moronic, Manhattan leftist elite lying sacks of crap. My two new favorite sound bites. By the way, those were not intended to be in that order. Uh, no, Ted Cruz was not talking about Pastor and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson of, uh, of North Carolina at all. He was talking about the New York Times uh, for any number of reasons, to be honest with you. Uh, welcome. It is a Tuesday, the 17th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you to Neil Peterson, independent conservative candidate for governor. Great uh, conversation with him last half hour. If you missed it, you should check it out. It'll be available on alwaysright.us probably within the hour. Probably within the hour. Uh, and that's best anyway. We don't want you to listen to it while we're talking with Peter Kersenow. We want you to listen to Peter Kersenow first, then go back and listen to uh, independent candidate for Governor Neil Peterson. But it is Kersenow time, as it is Tuesday. Peter Kersenow, the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, best-selling author, columnist, sometimes law professor, and uh, host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Pete. Bob, that Cruz statement is something I probably utter four to five times a day. That's not, <laughs> maybe not quite in that order, but I use almost every one of those terms. It's oh, really something. That was one of my favorites, boy. He just let loose, uh, and I, uh, I could not agree with it more. Uh, all right, Peter Kirsten, now we got a lot of work to do. But before we do that, I called you a best-selling author, and uh, it's been a little bit since we caught up on what you are authoring. Uh, can you oh, yeah. us well, what's coming up here? Yeah, I do. Um, I've got a book that will be coming out. It's already available on pre-order on Amazon, and it's going to be coming out in August. It's the one I'm ghostwriting for the W.E.B. Griffin uh, series, Men at War. It's a lot of fun. It's historical fiction, but it's got tons and tons of accurate history, obviously. You just... In the interstices, you put in a little bit of fiction to fill in the blanks where, you know, history didn't supply how certain things happened. And uh, it's a lot of fun, just great fun. I've also got two more pending. Um, don't know when those publication dates will be, but it's going to be soon. And when I get the publication dates, I'll, I'll let you know. No doubt about it. Well, thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. And we always look forward to reading more of your great work. Uh, I wanted to get the fun stuff in there because that is fun. I think you described it well uh, because what we're about to talk about is not so much. Um, the latest news, Peter, on the shooter in Buffalo, and, and we're going to talk about this first, but I don't want it to be only an exclusive, because there were more shootings in Chicago, as there are each and every weekend, usually in the dozens. No, no difference this past weekend. 33, 35 people shot, five of them fatally. Uh, what was a little out of character is three separate shooting incidents in Milwaukee over the weekend. Uh, then there was a church that was shot up uh, in California, five uh Elderly Taiwanese women were shot in what is apparently a racial attack against Taiwan, according to uh, what the early reports are there. Uh, but all of the attention, of course, is on the Buffalo situation, and that's where Joe Biden is going today. And the latest report on that story in which a white supremacist wannabe, uh, clearly just a, an insane mentally, they, they knew about his mental impairment, uh, in fact, he had see, seen therapists for this because he had previously planned to shoot up a school. Um, 
well known to be mentally deficient or, or, or mentally impaired, whatever you want to call it. But this nut in a racist attack, he's a racist nut, shot up, uh, he drove 200 miles-ish from where he lives to Buffalo to shoot up a uh, grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood. And, of course, the predominant number of victims were black, but not all of them. The latest uh, st- part of the story, Peter, that I found this morning <clears throat> is that he had allegedly, this shooter, had allegedly um, written the name of one of the Waukesha, Wisconsin parade victims from Christmas, from this past Christmas, in which, in that case, a black man named Daryl Brooks drove his truck through a predominantly, if not all, white crowd of Christmas revelers in a parade, um, according to eyewitnesses, veering his truck and zigzagging to maximize casualties so people couldn't just run out of the way. Six people were killed, 61 injured very severely, uh, and apparently, you know, the the potential racist uh, narrative of that attack, being a black man attacking white people, was enough to send this particular white supremacist, uh, who was already mentally impaired, over the edge as he wrote the name, and one can infer that that means this is revenge for what happened in Waukesha. So, Pete, I want you to kind of make some sense of all of that as you see fit, but then also answer the question that Corrine Jean-Pierre could not answer when asked by Peter Ducey yesterday, why is Joe Biden going to Buffalo, but he didn't go to Waukesha? Why did Waukesha, in the death of six people and the injury of 60-plus, why did that not prompt a presidential visit just a few months ago? Take it away. I'll take the second one first because it's so easy, because it doesn't fit the media slash Democrat slash progressive narrative. You see how how quickly any shooting that doesn't fit the narrative, that doesn't go white against black, is completely pigeonholed, completely memory-holed by the media and Democrats. But any shooting that involves a white person killing a black person, regardless of whether or not there's extant evidence of any kind of racist motivation, it immediately, without any evidence whatsoever gets drummed up as a white supremacist occasion that it was a, it was motivated by white supremacy. In this particular case, it appears that the motivation was just sheer insanity. Yes, there's window dressing of white supremacy, and I'm not going to downplay that. Yeah, he did these for white supremacy reasons, but this man was insane if you read any portion. I've read significant excerpts from his so-called manifesto. This person was unhinged. Everybody knew he was unhinged. Most of the people who are engaged in shootings like this are completely unhinged. It has less to do with white supremacy, black supremacy, than it has to do with insanity. But the insanity of this, which is extremely dangerous and extraordinarily divisive and damaging to our society, is this tendency on the part, and it's not a tendency, it's almost a knee-jerk reaction. The media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, immediately seize upon any one of these kinds of black, uh, white versus black shootings as evidence that the country has descended into this white supremacy hellhole. Nothing could be further from the truth, but when you continue to hammer on these things, one of the dangers is that an insane person like this is going to take some kind of action as he did, supposedly in revenge for what happened in Waukesha. Now, consider, for example, what happened in Waukesha. And actually, if I might take a moment to kind of back up, because there's a larger, a a bigger issue here that goes beyond, strangely enough, in 2022 uh, America, it goes beyond race. And that is 
almost all of your listeners are aware, at least vaguely, of maybe the most famous mass shooting up until recently in American history. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre occurred nearly 100 years ago in Chicago. It was such a startling and momentous occasion that movies have been made about it. Literature is replete with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Seven people were killed, okay? In the last 20 years, we've had innumerable occasions in which a minimum of seven people have been killed, and we don't even bat an eyelash anymore. It's incredible where we've gone as a society, and it appears, strangely, to be getting worse and more um, concentrated in racial terms. If you have a president of the United States that explicitly makes this about race, regardless of whether or not, and it is about race, this, this one happens to be about race, but what is the primary cause of this? I would suggest that it's caused by this person's being unhinged and insane, less than being a white supremacist. But consider the dichotomy. As you say, he had the name of a Waukesha victim on there. Yeah. Waukesha was perpetrated by a guy whose social media posts were replete with black nationalist postings and postings related to, you know, that would be considered racist under any circumstances whatsoever. He runs down a parade where 62 people are wounded, six people are killed. A lot of people noted for maybe the first time, because this has been a, a situation that's occurred for the last several decades, but Many people noted after Waukesha because it came on the heels of Kyle Rittenhouse, which was bizarrely made into a racial situation when there was had nothing to do whatsoever with race. But a lot of people noted that Waukesha got hardly any of the media attention that many of the other incidents, recent incidents have, and that within two days, there was no mention of the Waukesha incident. It was memory hold immediately. Well, well Peter, if Similarly, I may, if you've I got may, Frank let, James. Did, did you say this part already? Do you remember the, the leftist narrative of the Waukesha parade uh, incident was car rams into parade? Yes, right. Car, and, not, 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 not driver, car, almost AI driven. You know, it was, yes, it was one of those Teslas or something. Yes, exactly. right. And it, and it veered away to hit as many people. They literally said car slams into, not car truck driven by angry black man who hates white people which by the way for those who don't recall this much about daryl brooks script because everybody's all about this buffalo shooters uh, uh 181 page uh, uh explanation i won't call it a manifesto but of who he is and what he was doing uh as proof of his you know racism and so forth uh then the the facebook page of daryl brooks who drove that truck into that crowd uh included the lines so when we start back knocking white people tf that people don't know what that means it's the f word knocking white people tf out i don't want to hear it the old white people too knock them tf out period uh he was very specifically calling for violent acts against white people on his facebook page before he drove that truck into them so this is a black man clearly race driven by driving through an ex almost exclusively white christmas parade and the first thing they say is car did it and then when they have to acknowledge it was driver did it as you said pete that's when the narrative stopped completely it just wasn't even covered anymore Right. The motivations were clear. The social media posts were replete with this kind of invective. And that's true also of others. Frank James was just a couple of weeks ago in the New York City uh, subway shooter. He shot 10 people. He was apparently not as good a shot as this other guy. I don't mean to be macabre about this. No, I understand. But he shot 10 people. 
10 people and 29 other people in the melee were injured. His social media and other media were were replete, again, with black nationalist sentiments, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This happened in, not in Buffalo, New York, all due respect to Buffalo, it's not New York City, the media capital of the world. Yet within a couple of days, don't hear a whole lot about it. And you rarely heard about the motivations. Um, and this goes on and on. It doesn't just have to do with, you know, the difference between the dichotomy between treatment of uh, black suspects and white suspects. But remember also, uh, there's also a political component to this because we had um, consider the difference in the treatment between the uh, Gabby Giffords shooting. Uh, and immediately everybody said, oh, it's Sarah Palin's fault, when there was absolutely no evidence of it. But they wanted to smear Sarah Palin. And there was a big convention or a big uh, meeting in the, uh, I think it was, I can't remember where it was, the, the, uh, maybe it was the Arizona Stadium, I can't remember. But then you have another one is James Hodgkins, a clear Bernie supporter who asked, where are the Republicans? He wanted to kill Republicans, and he shot up the Republican um, baseball, baseball practice, practice, almost right. killed Steve Scalise. There are numerous other examples of this where the media double standard is howling. Now, this is that's one problem, the media double standard. But the media double standard has pernicious and deadly societal effects because it fuels the rage. We see it explicitly with respect to the Buffalo shooter, who apparently may have been taking vengeance on because of what happened in Waukesha. You see it with respect to a lot of these black shooters who think that, well, my goodness, everybody in the world, including the President of the United States, tells me that white cops and whites are out to get, get blacks and blacks are being hunted down and, and killed in droves. Well, if I believe that, you know, who, who, I, would be, I wouldn't be shooting people, but there'd be a lot of animosity. And there yeah. is that animosity. The, the left feeds off of that because their agenda stinks so badly. All they can do, which a number of political movements have done for centuries, is stoke one side, pit one side against the other. And that's what this president is doing. It is despicable. It's shameful. He's supposed to be the supposed uniter, according to his friends in the, in the media. I've not seen any evidence of it, but he needs desperately to distract from record high gas prices in uncontrolled immigration, supply right. chain issues, crime well, uh, increases through the roof, drug crises, school CRT, we'll, Ukraine, we'll come back China, to that stuff. Yeah, let, let's not chase all of those at the moment, Peter. I want to get a time out here because I need one. Secondly, I want to come back and talk about the other element of this that we have not talked about. You, you talked about the media uh, and what they are doing and the danger that they pose, along with the leftist politicians who support the media and are supported by the media in a very, very quid pro quo relationship. But let's talk about the other side of the media. They want to blame Tucker Carlson in particular for what happened in Buffalo. I want to get your take on that as we come right back. Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1026 now. We continue with Peter Kersenow on uh, AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, I want to, I want to let you listen to this just uh uh, this brief uh, portion of CNN, I hate to do this to you, I don't like to do this to anybody, but I think it's important for context here so we know what we're talking about. Come on. Come on, Humpty Dumpty. All right. 
conspiracy theory that's as old as our American society, in, in which right. uh, white Americans are, are being told and being poisoned through uh, the Internet, but also through some relatively mainstream uh, media organizations on the right being told that they're facing a demographic crisis uh, and that they have to stand up for themselves. And, well, and, and, and let's it, just be clear, Wes, you're talking about Tucker Carlson. You're talking about Laura Ingram. You're talking about mm -hmm. the biggest stars on Fox News. So Humpty Dumpty Brian Stelter. Are, are being All right, shut up, you. Uh, Humpty Dumpty Brian Stelter and his guest Wesley Lowry blaming Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and Fox News as a whole for pushing the race replacement theory that perhaps drove this nut job in Buffalo to commit his terror, terrible acts on uh, of this past weekend. Uh, Pete, we'll get just a couple of minutes of response here. We'll go more in depth after the news. What are your thoughts? Uh, I see no evidence of that. <clears throat> Um, that this guy was motivated by some kind of you know white replacement theory, but aside from that, these guys like Stelter have for I don't know about the last two years been on a jihad against Tucker Carlson, anybody at Fox News, but Tucker has been the most effective at piercing the shibboleths of the left and showing them for the well showing them for who they are, and they can't stand that. The fact of the matter is Brian Stelter appeals to about 14 people a day. That's about it. He doesn't have any kind of a audience whatsoever, whereas Tucker Carlson's is the biggest in cable uh, radio or cable uh, television. So it, it's immature from that regard. But what it is is emblematic of what the left is doing universally with respect to trying to diminish Anybody on the right, whether it's you, Bob, whether it's, you know, in the past they did it, uh, the, the biggest boogeyman, of course, was Rush Limbaugh. Now it's probably Tucker Carlson. But they've got to do it because the facts are harmful to the left. Anytime the facts are revealed, even though the left controls 95% of media, whether it's social media or the radio, or not, not so much radio talk shows, but radio more broadly, commercial radio and cable television, broadcast television, all of the news networks, they can't have a discouraging word because the truth resonates immediately. People sense they're being told the truth, even if they just hear a snippet of it. They've been subjected to 99% wall-to-wall coverage of distortions, bias, and lies, and then they hear the truth and it rings like a bell and they can't the left can't afford to have that being done so they've got to go after tucker carlson and spread even more lies about him the good news is about 14 people heard that that clip from stelter well which and your is, audience was probably the largest group that heard now. <laughs> you know which is um which is you know one of the other reasons why they do this why i mean tucker destroys them in the ratings i mean literally if you look at the fox primetime lineup if you look at the uh, primetime ratings it's tucker carlson sean hannity laura ingram uh, probably jesse waters then maybe in fifth you'll see rachel rachel maddow and then you'll see a couple more fox shows and then maybe down there you'll see your first N uh, a cnn show they literally have to take them down for the purposes of dollars and cents in addition to the politics of it the ideology of it uh and their agenda so uh tucker's carl uh, tucker carlson is killing them financially and this is one of the reasons why they're going to target him with this racial stuff pete on the other side of the news the reason i said i wanted to bring you back to talk more about this is some people don't know what the great repl race replacement theory or white race replacement theory is that Tucker has talked about. I want to talk about if it is if it is indeed racist in nature at all. You said you don't think it was in play here with this particular Buffalo shooter, but is it something that is uh, that, that should be silenced uh, according to the American left? So we'll get your thoughts on that after the news. We'll continue. Always Right Radio on AM 1420 The Answer. I got a love that keeps me waiting. 
lightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. Facts is facts. 1039, we continue on Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. Also linked on alwaysright.us now. The latest podcast hosted by myself and Patrick Wood, author of uh, two different books on technocracy that are phenomenal. He's the executive director of Citizens for Free Speech. If you don't know enough about the uh, Disinformation Governance Board and how dangerous it has gotten, you need to listen to this current episode of Stand and Deliver. It's right now available. Uh, and you can download it, by the way, anywhere you get your podcasts. On Podbean, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Player FM. You can listen to it in any or watch it in any of those uh, uh, forums, wherever you get your podcast, Stand and Deliver is available. The latest episode on Disinformation Governance Board is very, very important, crucial, in fact, dare I say, for you to check out and learn and share. So that's available now, uh, also very easily at alwayswrite.us. Continuing with Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer, a uh, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, um, this race replacement theory is something that Tucker has covered. It is something that a lot of sociologists and societal experts have covered um, because demographics are kept for a reason. Uh, the census asks about who you are, what race you are, and so on and so forth for a reason. And when demographic shifts are noted and are noticeable, questioning why that is is certainly legitimate um, for discussion. It's legitimate research. So what they have done is talked about the shifting demographics and how the predictions of the white race being uh, the majority in the United States is on borrowed time, that there is a period of time in the not-too-distant future where the white race will be the minority. There won't be a one single POC or person of color that takes over as the majority, but there will be fewer whites than there are combined brown, black, and, and, and all kinds of other races and ethnicities put together. Studying that, I didn't think was racist. I thought they did that and asked in the census for a pretty good reason. They want to know what the demographic shifts are. Well, the left says that talking about those things and talking about the intentional shifting of those demographics um, led to the Buffalo shooter shooting people up in a black neighborhood grocery store. What do you know the about left, race replacement theory? Oh, I, I know a pretty good deal being on the Civil Rights Commission. Uh, it first came to my attention when I first got into the Civil Rights Commission more than 20 years ago when this theory with respect to Ozotlan came up. I don't have enough time to talk about that, um, but I can tell you this that the whole race replacement theory has been, it grew um, more rapidly after a couple of Democratic political scientists, John Judas, I think it was, and Roy Teixeira, wrote a book called uh, The Coming Democratic Majority based on these demographic shifts. And Democrats have been ecstatic about this ever since that book came out because they believe that demography is destiny when it comes to politics. Unfortunately for them, the last few years have proven just the opposite, at least not, if not uh, the opposite, it has shown that it's damaging or could be potentially damaging to Democrats. Again, for 20 years, Democrats have been enthusiastic, have been ecstatic about the possibility of there being a growing number of minorities in the country because for a long time, minority groups, especially blacks, voted in lockstep with the Democratic Party. Blacks, more so than anybody else, generally speaking, blacks give 92% of their vote to the Democratic Party in presidential elections. If they fall below, you know, the Kristen theorem, if they fall below 88%, uh, Democrats go the way of the 
Whig Party. But also, Hispanics had for a while there been, you know, fairly uh, supportive of the Democratic Party. And because the Hispanic population was growing tremendously, um, Judas, Teixeira, and others believed that this signaled the coming demographic change that would augur a coming uh, demographic or democratic majority. And they've been playing off of this for a long, long time. Unfortunately, Hispanics haven't been playing along with them. Because if you look at the recent polling data, Hispanics have turned markedly against the Democratic Party. In fact, if you look at the different racial groups, Hispanics are now the least likely to support Biden, even though they gave Biden at one time a um, uh, like a 61% approval rating. Right now, it's at 26%, lower than the approval rating given to Biden by whites. So this whole issue of a coming demographic majority hit a roadblock about, well, more, more recently, and now Democrats are apoplectic about that. And thus, you're going to hear more and more of this racial division. There's going to be more and more of how the Republican Party hates blacks, Hispanics, anybody who has an ounce of melanin in their skin, but it's not working because Hispanics especially are looking at the policies being promoted by the Biden administration and Democrats generally, and they're not signing on. The one group that, for example, is the least persuaded by the Democrats' transgender uh, strategy are Hispanics. They rejected wholesale. Hispanics also are more concerned about economics and the ability of government to do things to make it um, a favorable environment for the economy and jobs and so forth. And Biden has completely failed on that. Now, <clears throat> Trump made significant gains into the Hispanic uh, vote back in uh, 2020 and made significant gains also in 2016. In fact, his gain in 2020 over 2016, I think, was 11 percentage points. That's extraordinary. That started to ring alarm bells among Democrats. But this latest, this latest polling is just devastating for them. And take a look what's happened along the border. Uh, previous Democratic strongholds there that would go 90, 95% for Democrats and were nearly 100% Hispanic in terms of population have now won, at least one district down there went Republican and many others are trending in that direction. Why? Because Democratic policies are horrific for almost everybody except for, you know, the wine sipping latte crowd uh, that, uh, you know, got degrees from Yale and Harvard and can do virtually nothing with them. Aside from that crowd, everybody else is looking at gas prices, immigration, the lack of baby formula, all the things that are meaningful to their lives and are saying no mas, no pun intended. They don't want this anymore. So the, the demographic change that Democrats have been heralding, they're starting to second-guess themselves on that. At least the smart ones are. The ones that you see on CNN and MSNBC, they still think this is the greatest thing in the world. And also, there's one other component to this. A lot of them, putting aside for a moment the political, any political effect of demographic changes, many of these, again, the Harvard, Yale, latte-sipping crowd, are still invested in this idea of if you are a minority, you must necessarily be a progressive. You will sign on to all these idiot ideas that progressives have come up with. And, you know, it was, to, to some extent, it was an expression of what Jesse Jackson called the Rainbow Coalition, this belief that multiculturalism was necessarily progressive in its political orientation. 
And we're finding out now that when you, again, don't have baby formula, you don't have enough uh, money to pay for gas to get to work and things of that nature, that trumps any kind of nice little um, faculty lounge ideology that you might otherwise embrace. Politics have consequences, and retail politics have got to deliver for the people. It can't just simply be this kind of racial massaging that they like to do, but that's all that Democrats slash progressives have at this point. So as we see with respect to the Buffalo shooting and almost every other kind of conflagration where there might be a suggestion of race, they hammer on it incessantly to the detriment of the cohesiveness of our society as a whole. Peter, um, two quick follow-ups. Uh, one is, you know, you talk about the border, and you've been talking about the border, and so have I. And uh, you know, the, the we're a week away, right? A week away from essentially uh, Title Forty Two ending, which is not even really an immigration control bill. It's a he- or a control tool. It's a health right. tool in order to try to uh, limit people from coming in here with COVID. But um, they're lifting that now because COVID is no longer the pandemic it once was. Blah blah blah. And the practical, you know, reality here is we're going to go. We just hold on. Let me pull the number up because I. Saw it this morning. Last month there were two hundred thirty-four thousand eighty-eight migrant encounters reported at the U.S. southern border. Two hundred thirty-four thousand eighty-eight. That, of course, doesn't count the gotaways, but that is a record of the number of recorded migrant encounters for a single month. As soon as Title Forty Two ends, they are expecting that to go up to five hundred fifty thousand right. per month. Now, knowing. I don't care, by the way, because this is not about race. It's about sovereignty, and it's about border control for the purposes of maintaining a nation of laws. But knowing that the overwhelming majority of those, while they are coming from around the world, are going to be black or brown, if you will, how is it possible to, to, to avoid talking about the demographic impact that that would have on this country, 550000 a month, if that is indeed what, what happens. So that's number one. And then the second part, Pete, is, um, is, is just talking about, um, well, I don't want to overburn you. Answer that first one, and then I'll come back. Well, first of all, it makes sense to talk about that. We're a sovereign nation, and we want to know who's in the country and what are the thoughts, beliefs, and so on and so forth of those people. Now, race isn't destiny. So, you know, simply because somebody is Hispanic or black or whatever it may be doesn't mean he's got certain thoughts and beliefs. But there is, uh, I'm going to say something that's going to shock a lot of people on the left, and that is this fealty to diversity, uberalis. Okay, as if diversity is an unalloyed good. There's no evidence of that. In fact, history shows the evidence is the opposite of that. When you have, quote unquote, diversity, you have strife, you have division, you have conflict, you have political factions pitted against one another. It's one of the reasons why you have countries, because people have figured out that when you have commonalities, you're more likely to be a a vibrant, thriving Polity, okay, you're going to be a nation of, of common values that's going to be seeking a common objective. But when you've got a number of different factions, a number of different, and it doesn't necessarily have to be by race, it doesn't necessarily have to be by religion, it doesn't have to be necessarily by anything. But when you have people who have different outlooks, there's a lot more strife and strain. Now, one of the reasons why you have a government is so to minimize that strife and strain because there are very, very few societies that all are of one demographic group, okay? Probably the closest is something like North Korea, and we don't want to be North Korea. But nonetheless, 
we want to make sure that we know what's going on. Are certain groups, by virtue of ethnicity or religious belief or something of, of that nature, doing better than others? Are they doing worse than others? Are they getting fewer resources than others? And why is that? Not necessarily going to be spreading the wealth around, as they say, and entering into some kind of socialism, but we want to know, is there some kind of discrimination going on? These things are necessary to know whenever you have a pluralistic society like the United States of America, the ultimate pluralistic society. So we don't have groups that are falling behind, because when that happens, you have more strife, you have more anxiety and division. All those things make sense. And we want to, more importantly, have control of our country, a sovereign country, regardless of who's coming into this country, what what their background is in terms of ethnicity or religion or any other class, you name it. We want to know who's coming in. We want to have control over that because we want to continue to have a society that is the greatest in the history of the world. And when we let, for example, the cartels dictate who gets into this country, That status as the greatest country in the history of the world is likely to change pretty dramatically. So it is our duty to ask who is coming into this country. We take those stats for a reason. Uh, Pete, very well said. Now, the second question I wanted to follow up with is you mentioned inflation. You mentioned the shortage of baby formula, et cetera, et cetera. All of that goes into uh, this statistic. an NBC poll, not a Fox News poll, not a push poll from a conservative-leaning organization. An NBC News poll revealed that 75%, three in four Americans, believe uh, that the United States is on the wrong track. This is uh, the fourth consecutive survey where the number was over 70%. Only the fifth time in 34 years since they started this survey uh, that the number reached 75%. The last time it was that high was during the Great Recession in 2008, followed by the 2013 government shutdown. So, Pete, 75% say wrong track. Just 16% say the country is headed in the right direction. Um, this has to, to, to move the needle in terms of the Democrat priorities between now and, and November, does it not? And when I say priorities, I mean they have been prioritizing all of the wrong things. They are not dealing with inflation. They have no plan whatsoever on how to reduce gas prices. Occasionally he'll uh, release a few more barrels from the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve. But obviously nothing is going to assist us beyond uh, be, you know, regaining our energy independence. And what was the last move that they made? To cancel more leases for drilling and fracking. So, Peter, last thing here, since you brought this up, they're focused on the race of the victims and the shooter in Buffalo rather than the plight of 330 million Americans. Yeah, they've got to distract. They have to distract from all of their failings, which are manifest. They're they're in manifold. I've never seen anything in my lifetime quite like this. Everything they touch implodes. Now, you said 16%. I'd like to know the 16% who think the country is going in the right direction. Who are these people? What rock are they living under? No, no, no disrespect to them. But it's it just implodes. Yeah, well, any statistic, you're going to get a percentage that's going to approve of, you know, if you have Armageddon, some people are going to say, yeah, this is pretty nice. I like it. But nonetheless, it is incredible that in my lifetime, there have been, you know, the Great Recession, the, the 2008 uh, crash, all those kinds of things had significant effects, 2001. But in terms of overt government policy, where you can draw a direct line from an action by our government, and specifically Biden, to some type of calamity, whether it be 
shutting down pipelines and oil increases, whether it be Afghanistan and then invasions of Ukraine and things of that. And if you can draw a direct line from policy initiatives on the part of the administration and some type of devastating consequence to America and or its citizens. And who would say that 16 percent approve of this stuff? I, I, it's just amazing to me. But nonetheless, um, what we're looking at here is in terms of um, the, the energy policy, in terms of, you know, almost everything else that's going wrong is a lot of people are saying, you know, the cloward Piven strategy of crashing all of the institutions so that you can rebuild it in a socialist framework. Now, I don't think that there is necessarily a conscious, overarching, unified, cohesive strategy on the part of Democrats to do that. But it's perfectly legitimate to ask why they're doing things that have manifest deleterious effects to most of the United States and its citizens when they know it's going to have a deleterious effect, unless it's a rush to shove through and cement in all of their progressive wish list before they're thrown out of power. Because as everyone knows, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to repeal a government program or initiative once it's in place. Because there are too many constituencies that say, hey, wait a minute, I want mine. So it may be that they're, they're in a rush, knowing that at the midterms, at the latest, uh, or the, at the latest, maybe the Biden, um, the end of the Biden administration. But I think it's right. midterms. They only have that window of opportunity in which to get their wish list in, and you know, consequences be damned. They'll take the 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 risk of doing that because they may not get another opportunity where they have a mentally deficient president. And, and I'm not being you know sarcastic about it. I'm not trying to be no, uh, no, pejorative about it. But we have a mentally deficient president, and we have also a vice president that's mentally deficient, and a significant progressive caucus in the House and some in the Senate that would allow this set of circumstances for progressives to occur, where they could maybe shove in what is essentially the new Green Deal. They're never going to get this opportunity again, so why not go for it? Peter, our time together goes very, very fast. We didn't even have a chance to discuss Roe versus Wade, which Kamala Harris says must be left in place because illegal immigrants deserve to, to decide and make their own choice as to which way they cross the Rio Grande. Roe versus Wade, it's up to them, and she says they should keep the choice for themselves. Peter, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Bob. All right, 1057, Always Right Radio. We are guest-free the rest of the way in Tower number 3. So if you've been waiting to call and you've got some things to say, this is the time. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Right back on AM 1420. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This 
is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway now at eight minutes past 11 o'clock. It's Tuesday, the the, uh, 17th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, you know, that... uh, that story I just talked about with Peter Kersenow, uh, you know, it's real. That's that's a thing. I think. If I told you that Kamala Harris said that Roe versus Wade should remain a choice for people as to which way they prefer to get across the Rio Grande, would you think it was a Babylon Bee article? Or would you think it was real? <laughs> the fact that you have to debate it in your head and think before you answer lets you know just how... Um, what's the word? Word am I galactically stupid? Maybe I'll run with here. Galactically stupid, she really is. I actually heard that joke somewhere. It wasn't Babylon B. I heard it somewhere. I can't remember where, but it was about AOC. I figured it applied better to Kamala Harris than AOC. And AOC, it's just like you know, making fun of her IQ is just like shooting fish in a barrel. There's just you know, there's no challenge to it. But with Kamala Harris, I don't know, it just seemed to fit a little bit more. It's something she would say in one of her, you know, little speeches or interviews in which she has no idea what they're talking about. She has no preparation for uh, the conversation at hand or the issue at hand, and she's just going to start babbling out uh, word salads, which, by the way, she did again. Uh, I'll have to grab this one because she did this one again just a few days ago. She went into another, I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to say that we're going to work together. We're going to work together, and we're going to continue to work together. We're going to continue to work together because she just had no idea of what in the living world they were working together on. Did you see that one, or did you hear that one? I'll try to get ready for you. Uh, phone lines are open at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I'm actually waiting for Scott Shepard to join us. Uh, we're hoping we get him. He is the uh, director of the National Center's Free Enterprise Project. Uh, That's a conservative movement, you know, the only full-service shareholder activism and education program that exists. Uh, He's a law school professor and, again, the director of the uh, FEP, uh, the Free Enterprise Project. And he was going to join us, and hopefully he still will, to talk about Progressive Corporation, which, of course, is in Mayfield Village. And Progressive, the insurance company, is um, defending the company's new D.I.E. hiring policy. D.I.E., of course, stands for Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity. and also spells DIE, which, of course, it is, is the result of most of the corporations that embrace this sort of thing. Anyway, they have a new Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity policy as it pertains to hiring. They believe that they need to hire people based on the color of their skin and their reproductive organs. It's all about their skin color and their sex or their gender. Never mind the fact that... uh, Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. Get enough of that. Not on their qualifications, not on their merit, not on what they bring to, you know, the company potentially, but we have to relate to our customers, and the only way we can relate to our customers is if our employees look like our customers and have the same organs as the customers. This is not even a joke. Tricia Griffith is the CEO of Progressive. Quote, we have a very clear vision to become consumers and agents' number one choice. In order to do that, 
We need to anticipate and understand our our customers. So we need to reflect our customers. We think it's very important to have a fair and inclusive work environment, reflect the customers we serve, and for the leaders, uh, for our leaders to reflect the people they lead. We believe that diversity, inclusion, and equity is an important part of our growth and just the right thing to do. The problem, as the Free Enterprise Project points out, is that such a policy essentially values surface characteristics over merit, prioritizes skin color and sex or gender over qualifications. So the um, Free Enterprise Project associate Ethan Peck was at this little press conference in which Progressive made their announcement, and he asked the CEO, Tricia Griffith, are you saying that people with certain skin color all think a certain way? Now, before I give you her answer, the real answer is, of course they do. It is exactly what they think. And that's precisely why Sonny Hostin, on The View, an African-American lawyer and television personality, declared that black Republican is an oxymoron. Because black people all have to think alike. And that is liberal or leftist. Now, that's not me saying it. That's her saying it. So the answer is yes. People on the left believe that if you look a certain way, you think a certain way. So does Joe Biden. Joe Biden believes that. You know this. He said so himself. Joe Biden literally declared that if you're not, uh, what was it, uh, um, uh, if you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Does it get any more direct? Does it get any more blatant? than to say, yes, black people all think alike. So progressive, listening to Joe Biden would be considered correct. We need a black sales force to appeal to black customers. We need a female sales force to appeal to uh, 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 female customers. I would imagine we need some trans representatives to deal with our trans customers because they all think alike. How many times has Biden... And have the left talked about that, how, how you know, blacks must think like other blacks. They're not diverse in their own thought. Remember this one? What you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. <laughs> unlike the black community, the Latino community has different attitudes about different things. The black community all thinks alike. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. By the way, that's the man going to Buffalo today to play race politics and tell you how much he loves black people and how angry he is that this white supremacist conservative, which he's not, Tucker Carlson lover, which he's not, uh, shooter, uh, committed this terrible racial hate crime. Just, just to throw that out there. Anyway, the answer from the CEO of Progressive, Tricia Griffith, was no. Uh, we need to be able to represent that. You can't put yourself in the shoes of somebody else if you don't have a representative organization that represents the country as a whole. You could never know what it feels like to be a female. I could never know what it feels like to be a male. So we need to represent everyone. So in the eyes of the progressive left, and in this case, it's literally the progressive left. It's the progressive insurance corporation. In the eyes of the progressive left, you have to be the same sex as somebody else in order to be able to relate to them. You have to be the same color as somebody else or else you can't relate to them. Isn't that an amazing thing? Because 
I always thought, particularly in politics, that politicians and candidates say that I want to, I want to represent all Americans. Didn't Joe Biden say that? He said, I don't want to be the president of just the Democrats or just the Republicans. I want to be the president for everybody. Well, according to his own party's ideology, represented here by the DIE uh, uh, policies of progressive, he can't do that. He can't represent black people because he's not black. He can't represent women because he's not women. He can't represent gays because he's not gay. This is, this is the nature of identity politics. FEP Director Scott Shepard, with whom we were supposed to speak, and it looks like that's not going to happen this morning, said after the meeting, the reply to our question, and especially the follow-up, reveal that Progressive's executive management believes not only that all group members think the same way, but that members of surface characteristic groups can't even understand how members of other groups think. The idea that only a white person can sell insurance to white people or women to women is the most egregious sort of reductivist racism and sexism. Progressive deserves better and wiser leaders. So, But that's just one example. That's just one example. That's the Progressive Corporation, the Progressive Insurance Company based right here in Northeast Ohio. Are they alone? Absolutely not. There's a story online right now about companies that continue to go woke and then go broke. Because 87% of Americans say this very... Let me say that number again. 87% of Americans want corporations like Progressive, like Disney, like Marvel, like you know Macy's, like all of them, Netflix, you name it, want corporations out of politics and to just provide their services and their goods. The survey by the Trafalgar Group found that 87.1%, so I'm just going to round that up, may I? Nine out of ten American voters from all political affiliations, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, centrist, non-affiliated, all political affiliations, say they either very or, or were either very or somewhat likely to stop using a product or a service from a company that openly advocates for a political agenda. The remaining 12.8% of the 87.1, so actually wouldn't that be 12.9, I'm reading from the Washington Times, said they were either not likely or very not likely to do so. Pollster Robert Cahaley, who founded Trafalgar in 2016, said the poll suggests that the era of companies endorsing left-wing politics to appeal to younger Americans might be coming to a close. He cited as an example one that I've talked to you about before, and that is Netflix. Their recent internal memo that told left-wing employees to quit, get out, if you're so offended by the uh, Netflix uh, decision to feature diversity in their stories, including... Things like Dave Chappelle's show, Dave Chappelle's comedy show, his stand-up show, in which he talks about and, and, and is critical of something, some of the things in the trans movement, if you will. Get out. If you don't like the fact, because they're screaming and crying about how hurt they are and about how they need their safe space because we're going to let the Dave Chappelle comedy show still go on our network. Wokeness is a luxury, said Mr. Kahaley that a society can worry about when everything is going well, not when the price of gas and everything else is rising. 
The poll sounds substantial agreement among Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. 93.4% of Republican voters said they're likely to boycott a company that takes stances against their values. 84.5% of Democrats and 82.6% of Independents said the same thing. So they all collectively want woke politics, or rather, they want political agendas out of their, their corporations. And you want to know why? Because of what I was talking about yesterday. I literally asked people on this program yesterday, where do you go if you can't, if you, if you are taking your own stand in either boycotting or just saying, I'm not going to participate anymore in various entertainment vehicles, where do you go for the lighter side of life? Where do you go? I talked about TV. You know doggone well as well as I do. The sitcoms, the drama series that you used to watch on the networks, CBS, NBC, and ABC, are all as woke as can be. You know that they're on networks whose news programs are all as woke as can be. And so you say, I'm not going to watch those anymore. I'm just going to stick to movies. (laughs) Where are 99% of movies made? In woke leftist Hollywood. And they are just hell-bent on driving their leftism into every storyline and movie that they put out. Or they feature actors who, quite frankly, hate you. If you're conservative, if you're pro-life, if you're pro-Second Amendment, yada, 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 they hate you. And so you say to yourself, I'm not watching movies either. What am I going to do? I'm going to go listen to the radio. (laughs) I'm sorry. But you, if you've ever watched the the uh, video music awards, have you ever watched the VMAs or the Grammys or the uh, uh, just about everything but the CMAs? I think pretty much. If you've ever watched them, and if you've ever listened, or if you have Twitter, and you look at your favorite musicians and the takes that they have and the stances they they hate you too. The overwhelming majority, not all, but the overwhelming majority of popular musicians, both from days gone by and today are woke. Say, I'm not listening to them either. I'm just going to turn on the game. The hell with it. Well, (laughs) are you sure? Because the NFL is as woke as woke gets, playing race-based politics every step of the way, choosing Colin Kaepernick as their cause, uh, uh, you know, to to support. Uh, I I believe they made him the, the face of their diversity movement. Colin Kaepernick, the racist who hates capitalism, who believes police officers are pigs and murderers, who hates the flag, the national anthem. You sure you want to watch the NFL? Well, I'll just watch basketball. (laughs) Are you sure? The National Basketball Association makes the NFL look conservative by comparison. The same NBA whose face LeBron James threatens police officers, literally threatens their safety. The one who supports the entire NBA supports and is in business with the communist Chinese, despite their ongoing genocide of Uyghur Muslims, despite their ongoing um, uh, totalitarian treatment of the people of Taiwan in the one China government. Well, then I'll watch baseball. (laughs) Are you sure? The same baseball that had BLM stenciled across the pitcher's mound right in front of every camera with that 
traditional television uh, camera angle, which is right behind the pitcher staring into the plate, so that everybody could see BLM, the Black Lives Matter Marxist organization, the same Major League Baseball that took the All-Star game last year away from Atlanta because Georgia wanted to shore up their voter integrity laws and make sure people didn't cheat, and gave it to another state whose voter integrity laws were stronger than the ones that Georgia wanted to implement. That baseball, they say, fine, I won't watch sports either. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Finally, these corporations and these companies, at least some of them, are recognizing if we keep driving all of our customers and our patrons away, there's not going to be anybody left. Get the woke politics out of your business, out of your services or goods manufactured and provided, and let people escape from the front page and into some alternate reality where they can enjoy themselves. That's what this is all about. I'm tired of reading about the war in Eastern Europe. I'm tired of worrying about the rapes. I'm tired of reading about the, the shootings. I'm tired of hearing about the, uh, the, the, the uh, partisan agenda from the president. I'm tired of hearing about the, uh, the crap from Black Lives Matter. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. I want to watch something that takes me away from it all. And I can't because it's woke on the TV. It's woke in the movie screen. It's woke in the music world. It's woke in the sports world. Where do I go now? Finally, maybe finally. They are starting to get the hint. I'll be right back with your calls after this. TJ's in Cleveland. TJ, thanks for your patience. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. I hate to say say this, Bob, but my prediction is DeWine is going down. And the two uh, scenarios that I see, one is an independent gets in there, and you know that's going to siphon off more than enough votes to give the Democrat the job. The other scenario is no independent, and too many of the people on our side are, I don't like Mike DeWine, I won't vote for him no matter what, I'm just not going to vote. That also will give the job to the Democrats. Uh, You know, I look at a guy like Mitt Romney, the guy's a consummate rhino. But I'll tell you what, he does vote with the Republicans most of the time. A liberal Democrat in that position will never vote with the Republicans. And this is one of the problems with our party, not just the leadership, but the rank and file. The Democrats know when to circle the wagon 100% and get what they want. We're too busy fighting against each other. I don't like this guy. I'm not voting. I'll vote for the other one. Until we learn to start circling the wagon, hold our nose, and vote for the better of the two and and. DeWine, as bad as he is, is better than what the alternative is. And I'm afraid, you know, we're going to go down this same path again, and this is one of the reasons the Democrats always are cleaning our clock. Well, what I think you're trying to say, my friend, is the Democrats circle the wagons and the Republicans hold circular firing squads. And I think both of those <laughs> things are good, true. good way to put it, Bob. Thank you, TJ. Appreciate it. Right back after the news. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, I do want to get a few more phone calls in here, but I also want to deliver on my promises. And I promised you the latest word salad, the latest unpreparedness uh, for the issue at hand from uh, Kamala Harris. So uh, here you go. That is especially true when it comes to the climate crisis which is why we will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, 
and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements that we will convene to work together on to galvanize global action. With that, I thank you all. This is a matter of urgent priority for all of us, and I know we will work on this together. I was trying to keep a tally going there. Was that about five work-togethers in 30 seconds? We will work together to continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements that we will convene to work together, and we will work together. Thank you, Kamala. What will you do? I'm kind of curious. Do you, will you work indep- independently, or uh, will you work together? It's, just, it's just so embarrassing, honestly, to have this woman representing us. It's just um, it's a difficult thing to grasp that this is the best that we had to offer. Uh, okay, back to the phones. We'll go to Mike in Akron. Hello, Mike. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go ahead, sir. Hey, uh, good good morning, Bob. Um, TJ said it so well for me. And, you know, I was listening to your interview with uh, Mr. Peterson, and, you know, I, I like what he, who he is, what he stands for, you know, and I'm angry as you are about the, you know, independent business, the barbershops, the gymnasiums, the restaurants that were closed and, and really, really hurt bad. But I know also that in states like Pennsylvania, it was much, much worse. People were coming over here to, you know, to uh, patronize our restaurants that were open when Pennsylvania was closed for so long. I, I'm going to hold my nose. I'm going to support uh, De- or vote for DeWine. I think he he may be the lesser to evil, but Peterson does not stand a chance to win. I've been following politics a long time. I agree with you about um, Vice President Harris. It's unbelievable embarrassment. I remember when they made fun of Dan Quayle, and he wasn't <laughs> one tenth as you know as as embarrassing as uh, as Kamala Harris is. So with that, I'll let you go. But TJ really summed it up well for me. Thank you okay, so much. Thank you for the call, Mike. I appreciate it. Um, it's why one of the first questions, one halfway through, I guess I don't know, but it's why one of the most important question that questions that I asked Neil Peterson. If you missed that interview, you can hear it at uh, alwayswrite.us right at the end of the show. Alwayswrite.us. Um, you can listen to it for yourself. He's the independent conservative candidate in this, in this governor's race. He hopes to be on the ballot. He'll know in July whether or not his uh, signatures were verified. But one of the first questions, the most important questions I asked him was, um, you know, are you prepared to hand the governor's race to Nan Whaley? Usually a third-party candidate is going to be very damaging to the incumbent. We saw what Ross Perot did. Ross Perot gave us Bill Clinton. Ross Perot, and I say that having been a Clinton voter. In a previous life, I was a Democrat, not uh, not an active one. I just registered Democrat because mom and dad did. And that's like so many families do, especially pre- prior to this massive political awakening, I think, that's gone on in the last 20 or 30 years. But when I was a kid, I registered Democrat, and I voted for Bill Clinton. Uh, but uh, the reality is that Ross Perot cost George H.W. Uh, Bush his second term. And so I asked Neil Peterson uh, last uh, two hours ago if uh, he's prepared to hand this election to Nan Whaley because you're going to take votes away from Mike DeWine. And I can't stand Mike DeWine, neither can Neil Peterson. And his answer was, um, I don't believe that's the case. I believe I can win. He said, I know. He said, I, I, what he said was is he believes Nan Whaley wins either way. He said, if he's not in this race and not on this ballot, and you can listen to it for yourself, he said, if I'm not on this ballot, 
there are so many disenchanted government or uh, Republican voters in the state of Ohio. That's why he only got forty eight percent in the primary, because you know forty nine percent wanted somebody else, either Renacy or or um, or Blystone. And he said, so Republicans are going to stay home if I'm not on the race anyway. So either if I'm in it, they're going to come and vote for me. Um, and if not, they're, they're going to stay home and not vote for DeWine, and Nan Whaley might win either way. He said, but the better chance is, is that I go out there and destroy both of them. Uh, he didn't use the word destroy, but that, of course, is the mission here. So, you know, I understand the, the, re- the reality of the situation is third-party votes are usually protest votes that usually end up costing uh, the, the candidate that is most ideologically in line with that third-partier. Well, here's a third-party conservative, former Republican. He would certainly take votes away from Mike DeWine more than Nan Whaley. But his view is it doesn't matter. Nan Whaley would beat him if I'm not a part of the race, so I might as well take a shot at this. So that's where it is. Let's go to... Where? Uh, J.R. in Solon. Hi, J.R. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead. Hi, good, good morning, Bob. A couple couple points. Uh, I know something about politics. I've run, been a regional director of a couple congressional races locally. Uh, I'm as disappointed as anyone that Jim Renacy lost. I know him personally. Mm-hmm. That said, one just has to look at the votes that... Uh, Mike DeWine received, as opposed to Nan Whaley, and you'll see that he had as many or uh, greater than she did to begin with. And this guy, Peterson, I've never heard of him in his life. Well, before you you answer that, or before you continue, I mean, on that, the one thing that we have to consider, the one thing we have to consider, my friend, is that so many Democrats who knew Nan Whaley was going to be the nominee on their side crossed over, took Republican ballots, and voted for Mike DeWine because they they even said in some of their uh, left-wing news articles uh, that they would rather have Mike DeWine if they're going to lose, lose to a guy like Mike DeWine than to a real conservative guy who would be a bigger pain for them like Renacy. So, you know, at least 200,000 Democrats took Republican ballots. So when you look at the number of votes Nan Whaley got in her primary and compare it to the number that DeWine got, it, those weren't all Republican votes. Those were Democrats crossing over to make sure that if they lose, they're going to lose to a guy that they can live with, and that would be Mike DeWine. Do we have any way to document that? Well, if you look at the number of re- registered Republicans to vote in this primary, and then you look at the number of votes that were cast in the Republican primary, it's 200,000 heavy. There, there, there were around 800. Uh, Tom Zawistowski pulled the number straight from the Secretary of State's website, looked at the number of registered Republicans. It was around 860-some thousand for this primary, and yet over 1 million votes were cast in the Republican side. That means 200,000 votes came from someplace else that weren't registered Republicans. And you can read into that either independent or Democrats who crossed over. So if you look at it from that standpoint, the Democrats know. Uh, Nan Whaley was going to win our side. We wanted to make sure the lesser of their two evils, which would be Mike DeWine, would be opposing her in the general election, and that's why they did it. So uh, I appreciate your call, JR. I got to go. I'm sorry I don't have more time to talk about this. The good news is there's always tomorrow's show. So stick with us. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day, and let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.